Welcome to my podcast, Today's Dream, Tomorrow's Reality. My name is Vicki Poole. I'm a life coach, health coach, and a hypnotist at The Enlightened Peach. And this podcast is all about embracing our mosaic life. And some of you may ask, what is a mosaic life? Well, it is recognizing that all the pieces of our life, the good, the bad, the indifferent, have all come together to make us who we are. Change any one thing and we are different. With that in mind, I invite you to embrace your perceived imperfections and celebrate who you are. This podcast is unedited and raw, just like life. I will be your host and I will have a special guest from time to time. As a matter of fact, I have a wonderful guest today. I'm going to introduce to you in just a moment. But if you have any ahas or questions, please leave a comment or a voice message. So now let's get started. All right. So who I have with me today is Barbara Jean Wilson. And in 2011, Barbara published her first book, Mute, But Now I Speak. And in 2020, completed her second book, Blessings After Going Through the Valley. And her testimony in the book reveals how she overcame the pain of childhood sexual abuse and human trafficking and receiving the blessings of God. Barbara has spoken at the United Nations in New York, Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., as well as invited by the Women Economic Forum as one of their keynote speakers at the University of Albuquerque in Albuquerque in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the University of Arkansas and Germana Community College in Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is she lives in Virginia. Barbara also sat on the panel speaking for the NYPD Cyber Intelligence Conference in New York as well as a panel speaker for the National Child Protection Task Force in Fayetteville, Arkansas. These, along with other speaking events, focus heavily on bringing awareness to the challenges of human trafficking, familia trafficking, which I had to ask her what that meant, sexual, physical, and mental abuse, as well as the overwhelming impact on the victims and survivors and the community. Wow, just wow. That's that's a lot um, to um, unpack right there. And I know when we had our conversation the other day, because we spoke um, um, just earlier this week, I believe we spoke, and I was so excited about um, her story and how she has um, gotten such a blessing place in her life that it was like, I don't want to wait till next week or the week after to talk. Well, I said, what have you got for Saturday? So, <laughs> so we got on here really quick because I was just so excited. And so if you could just kind of, um, first off, you know, one of the things I had said was the familia. I didn't really understand what that was. So I know when you begin telling your story a little bit, you'll explain that, but I just wanted to make sure that you knew that that was one of the things in my thoughts right now. So um, the floor is yours. Thank you, Vicki. And thank you for having me here. Um, again, my name is Barbara Jean Wilson and I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, familiar trafficking, human trafficking. And as I explained to Vicki, familiar trafficking is done by a family member. In my case, it was my mother who trafficked me, her and her boyfriend. And 
I remember the first time it happened with her boyfriend and I had told her, she had said to me, um, don't tell anyone that's how the rent is getting paid. And with familiar trafficking, that's what it involves. When a family member is trafficking you, they're doing it for various reasons, whether it be in my case, paying the rent or, or just being able to protect someone else who they may um, give a name and threaten you that if you don't do this, you know, I'm going to kill that person or I'm going to harm them. Or, you know, if you have siblings, you know, I'll make your siblings do it. That's what familiar trafficking is all about. Okay. It's not talked about a lot. Um, you hear a lot on the news about human trafficking <clears throat> and you have various organizations that are out there trying to find and save victims of human trafficking. It's hard for familiar trafficking because unless the person speaks up about it, no one will ever know that they're going through any sort of trauma in the household. Right. And, and you know, I, I've had a couple of other people that I've talked to that um, had, um, they didn't really call it sex trafficking, but that's basically what it was. Um, and th they were sometimes family members and different things like that. And I think it probably happens a hell of a lot more than we're even aware. And the, the, the thing is, is that sometimes, um, people don't want to, um, to say anything because even though it's a dysfunctional family that they're in, it's the family they know, and they don't want to do something to, um, break that apart. And I think that's one of the things in your story too, is that you had some of those feelings, but if you don't mind, I want to step back just a little bit. You said, you remember the first time that this happened, it was with the boyfriend, right? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I'm aware of is that a lot of times before they ever do anything like that, the kind of preen you a little bit by giving you gifts or saying certain things or um, or different things to kind of make you, um, I guess, more accepting of whatever it is. Did that happen mm -hmm. to you too? No. <clears throat> what happened with me was, and I remember the first time that I met my mother's boyfriend, she actually um, had came to pick myself and my sisters up from church because we, every Friday we went and spent the night at my great aunt's house and she would, you know, take us on Saturdays to the hair salon to get our hair done and get us prepared um, for church on Sunday. You know, we had to study the scriptures and I, and I truly believe that's what really um, saved me. And I remember this particular Sunday when my mother came to pick us up, <clears throat> she was in the car with him and I immediately felt uneasy about him. I don't know if it, maybe it was the way he was looking at me um, or the way he was smiling, but it wasn't a look or a smile that any man should be um, showing a child. Yeah. How and old so were you again? I was eight years old. Eight. Okay. I was eight years old. And, um, and, and I remember, you know, getting in the car and my mother introduced all of us to him. And, and, and again, it's what he said and, um, and, and how he looked. He says, you know, it's nice meeting um meeting all of you and you're such and he he's particularly pointed me out. He said, You're such a pretty young lady. Um 
And, and I'm looking at my sisters like, okay, why didn't he reference them? I will say, you know, in comparing myself to my sisters, um, I was, even at my age, I was, as far as physically built, much more mature than yeah, they were. More developed. Yes, that's yes. the word. Um, and so, so it wasn't just with him, but, you know, it would be with other men and how they looked at me and, and, you know, the things that they would say. And so that's for me how it started with him. And he didn't live with us, but he always spent the night. Um, he worked nights, my mother worked days, and it was during the day when he would call me into the kitchen and he says, I made you something special to eat. Would you like to eat it? And <clears throat> and he had made eggs, which is something that I didn't like. And um, and he said, well, you know, I put some cheese in to try it. It might, you know, you might like it. And so that's how it all began. He, he started just trying to get me comfortable with him and, you know, telling me how much he liked my mother and, you know, my mother will do anything for him. And of course, I didn't realize at the time that that was one of the things that she would do for him. <laughs> and so, so the first time it actually happened, it was, it was on a Friday night because on Friday nights, my mother would go out. Um, she had a bunch of friends that they would play cards and they would go to each other's house and play cards. And this particular night when she went, he had told her, you know, don't worry about taking um, the girls with you. I'll, you know, I'm off and I'll stay here and I'll watch it. And it was during the middle of the night when he came and he woke me up and he took me in to my mother's bedroom. And that's when he started talking to me and telling me everything that I'm going to do to you is going to make you grow up to be a beautiful woman. And, um, and then they started, you know, doing different things and having me do different things. Um, and I knew that it was wrong because with all the men in my family, <clears throat> why is it they never approach me like this? Um, mm. And so, and that's when I had, you know, shared with my mother the next day what he had did. And that's when she had told me um, not to say anything because that's how the rent was getting paid. So it made me even think and believe that she knew that that was going to happen. And that's why she didn't want to be there to um, be a mm. witness to it. Um, and so, so at that point, um, I just never said anything to anyone, but uh, my whole personality changed. I imagine. Um, yes, my whole, my, I became angry. Um, I didn't have any respect for any adults. Um, I was afraid to be around adults. And that's the one thing that people tend to not either recognize or they ignore or. You mean the, the personality change? Yes. Okay. Especially, you know, especially, and I won't say especially in a child, um, because you, you should notice the personality change even in a teenager or a young adult. But in my case, um, and especially in children's cases that are being, you know, abused at home, we're not talking about the outside, but at home because they have no escape. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, and I, and again, I say that this was a Friday night. But when I left school, 
earlier that Friday, you know, you see a happy child leaving, just like all the other kids. It's three o'clock. You know, we have a long weekend. We're going to be playing and, you know, catching up. And the teacher's reminding us, you know, study for your spelling test. And I'll see you all on Monday. Have a great weekend. And so the person that left on Friday was not the same person that came back on Monday. <clears throat> when I came back on Monday, you know, I was acting out. I was um, hitting the other kids. Um, the teacher asked me a question and I talked back to her instead of answering the question. And she immediately said, don't be rude. And if you continue to be rude, not only am I going to send you to the principal's office, but I'm going to call your parents up. Um, but I ignored what she had said because, you know, you can call my parent if you want, um, but it's not going to matter. <clears throat> and I just continue to, to continue to act out. So and, as you're doing, as this behavior is <clears throat> completely, completely turned around, you're a different child when you've come back to school mm -hmm. and um, and I know it's been quite a while back, so maybe things are different now than they were back then. I have no idea, but um, nobody in the school, the teachers, the principal, did they have counselors in the the school? Was there any, nobody said anything or asked you any questions? No, they had guide, guidance counselors back, guidance you know, back counselors. when I was going to school. Yeah. Um, and instead of her saying, you know, I'm going to send you to the guidance counselor, Instead, she said, I'm going to send you to the principal. And of course, every every kid is afraid to go to the principal's office. Yeah. And it's usually you know um, an old white dude that right. is like, you know, anyway. So if you're already having issues with this man, that's the worst thing to do is to send you to this. this like. <laughs> and you and you described him perfectly because the principal was was tall <laughs> And of course, you know, me being small, to me, he was like the, the size of Herman Monster. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I got, you know, when I got into his office, he says, like, you know, your your teacher told me you're acting out and I'm calling your parent, which he did. He called my mother and my father up and um, and said, you know, she's acting out. She's talking back. She's being disrespectful. She's picking on the other kids. Um, what's going on? Why is she doing this? And of course, my father didn't have no idea of what was going on. And um, my mother said, I don't know why she's acting out um, because at home she's fine. I don't have any problems with her sisters. You know, maybe it's because she wanted a certain thing and I wouldn't give it to her because, uh, you know, she is a little spoiled. And and when you um, tell her, no, she can't have something, she will act out. That's what she said to him. And mm. I'm looking at her and I'm saying to myself, you know what's going on. You know what the problem is. So how did you feel in that moment? I mean, I know it's been a long time ago, but I, I just have to wonder, you know, as a as a child of that age and realize that now your mother's even lying to this guy. And, and uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would think it would almost be feeling like, well, now that it's it's done because there is nobody I can turn to, nothing I can do. Well, I knew that when she had said, um, don't tell anyone that's out of rent is getting paid. Um, so I knew at that very moment that I couldn't tell anyone, I couldn't share with anyone um, because she was my first line of protector. And the fact that she didn't protect me, the fact that she's my mother, 
me telling anyone else, I will not be protected because if your mother doesn't protect you, if your parent doesn't protect you, what makes you think that, you know, someone else that you know, or even a stranger would protect you? Mm -hmm. And I say that because at one point I ran away and I ran to my father's house and I told him, daddy, I don't want to go back home. I don't want to go back home. Um, I don't like it there. I didn't tell him what was happening, but I told him I didn't like it there. And my mother had called the police and she came over to my, because she knew where I was running to. And she came over to my father's house with the police. I did not see the police officer as someone coming to protect me. I saw the police officer as someone who paid my mother to do whatever it was that he wanted to do with me. I was pleading. I was screaming. I was crying. I don't want to go home. I don't want to go home. I want to stay with my father. And for me, you know, when I, as I got older and when I think about it, the one mistake, there was a lot of mistakes that the police officer uh, made, but the first mistake was him not asking me why I didn't want to go home. Him not asking me, why are you crying? What's going on? Him not saying to my mother, well, you know, just let her stay here for the weekend and maybe things will cool down and she can come back home on Monday. He never, never bothered to ask any of those questions. Instead, when my father said, can she stay here um, for the weekend? He said, well, no, she has to go back with her mother. And this is a matter that you will have to take up in family court. Well, so, let me ask you a question really quick. So mm -hmm. do you think um, officers and all are trained now to ask those kinds of questions? Yes, they are. They are being trained now to ask those questions. Um, one of the things that um, when I was invited to speak at the NYPD, um, it wasn't just to speak about what I went through, but also to train them. And, and it's the same thing when I'm invited to speak at schools and university. Um, it's to speak about what I went through, but also to train them in what to look for mm -hmm. um, and how to approach, um, you know, victims. Um, even the older victims, as I shared with the police officers, you have those that are prostituting on the street. Because at one point in my life, you know, that's what I ended up turning to in order to survive. And one of the things I had, you know, said to the police officers, you know, even when you see a prostitute on the street, don't think that they're out there because they want to be out there. A lot of them are out there because they're being forced. They're being trafficked. Yeah, um, or that's what they learned is how right. that's how you you that's get along in society. Learned. That's how I learned to survive. And that's how I um, learned that, okay, my mother said, you know, if you do this, this is what's paying the rent. So I never had to worry about being short on rent because I knew what I needed to do in order to make the rent, in order to survive. And so that's one of the things that I speak to them and train them about is how to approach a victim and how to gain their trust because they're not going to trust you. Um, because once your trust is broken, it's broken. But what I tell them is, you know, approach them in a way that's not harmful, in a way that's not fearful. You don't mm -hmm. want to make them afraid of you, but you also have to be careful in what you say to them. And when you speak to them, the question you need to ask them is, are you out here because you want to be out here or are you out here because you're being forced? Now, they probably will not respond 
to your question because of again they're too afraid to ask and when a person is being prostituted they could be being watched too they are being watched yeah um and what i tell what i tell the police officer is that in asking the question you know and whether you're there with a partner or you're by yourself notice the cars that are parked around you and one of those cars could be the trafficker or the pimp and so at that point what you need to do is just continue to speak to the prostitute and let her know i'm not here to harm you i'm not here to arrest you but what i am going to do is i am going to put handcuffs on you and take you to the station where you can speak freely and even then, there's no guarantee that they will speak. I said, but once you do that and you put them in the car, notice the cars that are around you that were parked. And there may be one car that actually pulls out to drive away. Nine cents out of 10, that's the trafficker or the pimp. Because they already know that the person is going down to the station house. And the person who pulled out, who was their, their pimp or trafficker, probably in in an, less than an hour or two, they know that they can bail them out. And so once you get them to the station, you begin to ask them the question again, you know, are you being forced? Do you need help? Do you have a place to go? And, you know, if they open up just a little, you also let them know that, you know, here is my card with my number on it. If you don't want to talk now, feel free to give me a call at any time. And what I tell the officer is, once you tell them that, you become their first line of protector. Mm -hmm. And so you have to mean what you say. Right. That person may end up calling you at two or three o'clock in the morning. You may be off duty. You may be home sleeping. You may be at a celebration. You have to take that call because you made them a promise that they could reach out to you at yeah. any time. And that could, at that point, it could be life and death. Right. And it could be the only time that they will be able to make a connection. The yeah. minute you tell them, I can't come to you right now, but I'm going to have officers so-and-so come, not only are they going to hang up the phone, but what you did was you didn't keep your word. And you so therefore, yeah. exactly. And they're not yeah. going to believe anyone. So- yeah. You know, well, let's so go back to the to the young children. And you said that you had um, been working with them to um, for the officers to know the questions to ask if they go to like the home thing like you had. Um, is there um, like something different that I, I know you said you give them questions to ask, but is there something more that they do? I mean, do they um do do they also talk to the schools and let the schools know that these are things to look for or do you talk to the schools and let people know i i talk to the schools and let people know and okay. now that the officers are being trained they know um you know what questions to leave with the educator um i know here in virginia on one of the organizations that i belong to um ATI International, which before the name change was just sex prevention, they actually have a curriculum that they share with the 
Board of Education with the different schools here in Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, it's a training packet on what the teachers um, need to look for, the questions that they need to ask, and what to be aware of. Um, because one of the things that I share with, with not just the offices, but also with schools or, you know, with hospitals, um, especially little kids, and especially one of the things that that officer should have triggered in me, most kids always want to be with the mother. Right. And so when I'm crying and I'm saying, I don't want to go home with her, I don't want to go home. I want to stay with my father. That should have been a trigger right there. Why doesn't she want to go home with her mother? Because all kids want to be with the mother. So that was a trigger right there. The other trigger is um, in acting up in school, the teacher should have said, Barbara, what's going on? This is not you like, like you. This. Right, yeah. Exactly. This, you, you weren't acting, acting like this on Friday when you left. What happened between Friday and now? Yeah, even not so, even Friday, but I'm assuming your total character for the time before that Friday was mm -hmm. like night and day different. So, yes, um, I mean, I was I was always giddy. I was always playful, always, you know, playing with my dolls and, you know, outside playing with other kids and what have you. And so I became withdrawn. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, and, you know, to the point where. You know, because I was also heavy. Um, and, you know, so when the kids would, you know, pick up, they started calling me names. Um, Mac Truck. Um, um, there was a cartoon back in the day called Little Lotta. Um, it was a redhead um, white girl and she was huge. And so they started calling me Little Lotta. So were you and, heavier before all this happened or just yes. after? Okay. So, well. Well, yes and no. It no. probably acerbated. So you took solace in food um, I, well, after that. Well, for me, because I was smaller, but I started eating more because when her boyfriend said, you know, what I'm doing to you is going to make you beautiful. At that point, I didn't want to be beautiful. Right. So to take away that beauty, food became my comfort. Yeah. Um. And my protector and what I could just, you know, and, and, you know, just eat anything and everything to, to gain the weight to, so that people wouldn't look at me as a beautiful child, but looking at me as those kids say, you know, Mac truck as a fat child. And so, you know, being fat, no one would be interested in me. No mm -hmm. one would be interested in looking at me. Interestingly um, enough, most people that have a lot of excess weight, they they get it as some kind of protection, whether it's protection from a person or um, a physical thing, or if it's a mental thing, or you know, it's it's usually some type of protection that the um, the subconscious starts feeling like I, I need to do these things to protect you. And it's um, it's the interesting thing to me, too, is like when you were talking about the prostitutes and all. And if even if the officer is able to get them to talk and be able to rescue them out of the out of the situation, um, just from what I know from being a hypnotist and life coach and all, I would say. I would be really curious to find out how many of them stay out of it because um, there's more, a lot more involved than just getting them out and 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 them being, you know, oh, it's such a relief. But if it's 
all they've known, yeah. you know, um, misery, it doesn't matter. It's the misery they know. And right. I would say majority of them probably go right back into prostitution. So I am really, um, um, amazed with your story because you did go into prostitution because it was what you knew. And, but then you were able to get to a place where it was like no more, you know? So yes. that's a very, very strong, strong personality to be able to do that. So can you elaborate a little bit more about your, your journey with, um, I know we, had, when we had talked, you had told me this was going on with your, um, with your, he never was a stepdad, right? He was just no. her boyfriend, right? Yes. Um, and that he started, um, basically, uh, bringing other men into the mix, correct? Correct, correct. And yeah. um, one of the things that you had said, as far as um, victims of prostitution and mm -hmm. and um traffickers, um, that are being trafficked, their minds are programmed, mm -hmm. and so they get out there. And they see this is hard. I have to, I'm struggling to just try to make ends meet or what have you. And a lot of them will end up going back to that pimp or going back to that trafficker. Because again, that's all, that's all they know. Even yeah. if, even if the pimp is beating them up or the trafficker is beating them up, you know, because they didn't make enough money to meet that quota that they're supposed to meet. For them, that's love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is crazy when you, yes. when you think about it, right. Yes. But they squash their, um, their self-esteem down so low. So they feel like they deserve whatever the hell anybody gives them. Exactly. And that's, and that's how I felt because, you know, for me, my mother, who I love dearly, my mother passed in 93 and I loved her dearly, you know, even with everything that was going on, um, I just never stopped loving her. But, um, just the fact that, you know, she didn't protect me. Um, just the fact that um, it 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 was okay with her. You know, once your self esteem is 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 gone, once everything that you believed about yourself is gone, you you don't care. You don't you don't care anymore. And you know, and even when they started bringing the different men over, um, and you Do you know, think your mother me. knew about that? I I want to say yes and no. I'm I'm really not sure. I I guess probably I want to say yes because right before she died, we had a long talk, and she did admit that she had ruined my life. She had scarred me, and she was sorry. And if I could forgive her. And that it was time for me to begin to live the life that I had that she had stolen from me. So in a way, probably yes, because mm. she also knew the type of men that he dealt with. Um, and you know, and and just the fact that you know being fed drug and alcohol, because I mean, she even um forced me to take um alcohol and pills. Um, so I would have to say, on the one hand, yes, she did know what was going on. And and even when I had the courage to one day say no, um, one of the men put a gun to my head and said, no one tells me no. And at that point, I just did whatever I was told to do. Um, but I also 
realized that in me saying no, my mother's boyfriend would beat her up. So now in my mind, I'm realizing that as long as I do what I'm told to do, he doesn't bother her. But if I fight and say, no, I don't want to, that's when he beats her up. So now not only am I the victim of sexual abuse, human trafficking, familiar trafficking, but I now have to become her protector. So do you think, um, sorry to interrupt, but do you think your sisters were involved with, did he do anything with your sisters or do you even know? I asked them um, if he ever done anything to them and they said no. And I believe them. I believe yeah. them because of, again, you know, just the way we were built. Um, I believe them. Um, I also um, believe the relationship that I had with my that I have with my father, my father's still alive, um, is a deep connection. And my mother didn't like the relationship, the love that I had with my father. She was able to talk my sisters into, you know, not not loving my father. Um and and I don't know if it had a lot to do with them separating and divorcing and he remarried and but they 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 believed her, they listened to her. So so it was her way of protecting them, but not protecting me. Um and so um so I believe when they told me that um he didn't they didn't do anything to them. Um I even, you know, even asked one of my sisters if she remembered when they made me do something to her. And she said she didn't remember. Um, mm. And I left it at that um, because I didn't want to trigger anything in her right. if she didn't. Um, and that's something that I really, matter of fact, this is probably the second time that I'm actually sharing that part. Um, I'm and, sure that's uh, very hard. Yeah. All of it's um, hard, but it seems like that would feel even more hard. Yeah, because, you know, just wanted, wanting to protect my sister, mm -hmm. um, especially since she doesn't remember. Yeah. Um, so how much we younger were, is she than you? Well, I'm the baby. I'm the baby. They're oh, okay. So they're older. That's interesting. Cause yeah. you would think usually um, they, they would be the ones, but you said you were a lot more developed. So I guess that's the reason. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, so with the other men that, you know, would come to the house um, and of course they did whatever they wanted to do, and and me protecting my mother after a while, you know, I just give in. I just give in. I just give up and just let them do whatever it is that they want to want to do. And because um, I, you know, I stop. I stop fighting. I stop, um, you know, arguing. I stop debating. And this went on until I was 13, 13 years old. It could have been um, long, but I just remembered up until thirteen. And then at that point, it was just my mother's boyfriend. And I don't know if it's because I was getting older, but it was at that point, it was just him. Um, and so now I'm fighting him and I'm fighting her. Um, and this went on for probably a year and a half because what ended up happening was I ended up getting pregnant. So was um, it his, your? No, okay. no, 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 it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't there. 
wasn't any of the men. Um, and when I became pregnant is when he stopped. Um, and, but then they started doing other things and, you know, trying to attack me and, um, and to a point where right after I had, had my daughter was when I got thrown out of the house. She probably was three months old, four months old. Um, and of course, you know, I'm in survival mode because now I have to, because my mother was, was also um, instrumental in getting me kicked out of school um, and going back before getting kicked out of school because I continue to act up, continue to, Talk back, talk back to the teachers and uh, the guidance counselor, the principal, and what have you. Back then, and I don't know if they have them now, which I doubt it. But back then in New York, we had what they call six hundred schools, where they had a six hundred school for girls and six hundred school for boys. Um, and so it had come a point where the principal had said to my my mother and my father that we're going to have to sent her to the 600 school. So where... I'm assuming that because uh, they they have something that's not called that. And I'm in Georgia and Georgia and it's it's a alternative school for kids who get thrown out of school or get totally um, um, some of them may have learning disabilities or something. I have no idea, but I know it's for like the troubled teens that um can't seem to function in school and this is the alternative that they send them to. Yeah. Cause I believe now they are called alternative. Um, but back then they were called 600. Um, and one of the things that, you know, I would like to stress, you know, because it was something that you said um, for troubled kids and what have you. One of the things that I would like to stress to any educator that will be listening um, and it doesn't matter if it's elementary, middle, high school, or college. Um, those troubled kids are going through something at home. One of the things I even share with police officers, you know, when a child runs away from home, first thing that happens is the parent calls the police. And the police go out and they're looking for the kids. And they find them and they bring them back home. And the child ends up running away again. You find them, you bring them back. They run away again. And I asked the police officers, have you ever thought to ask the question, why do you can keep running away from home? What's going on at home? And for educators, for um, parents, I can't, and it's, and it's hard for me to even say parents because a lot of the parents are the ones that are causing harm to their kids. But when you're seeing a child like myself who is not respecting anyone in the educational field and an adult outside of the educational field, but it, but especially in the educational field in elementary school, when a child is acting out, when a child is bullying other kids, because I, of course, at that time, I didn't realize that I was bullying. Now I know that I was. Um, when they're bullying other kids, um, they're not bullying them to hurt them. They're bullying them because for me, you know, whenever I saw kids smiling and happy, it's like, why are you smiling and happy when I'm not? Mm. So I want to make you not happy like I'm not happy. 
Got it. So when you're when you're when you're bullying other kids, instead of the teacher labeling them as bad kids, as troubled kids, you you have to dig deeper to find out what's causing that problem. What's happening to them to make them act up like this? And I can guarantee you, whatever it is, it's in the home because everything starts in the home. And, and even if a child comes to you and they tell you and you ignore them, they're going to continue to do it until they do something dangerous that's going to harm others. And I say that because once I got kicked out of public school and was sent to the alternative school or 600 school, there was, and it's an all-girls school, and, and the situation was even worse than me being in public school because at this particular school, I mean, they allowed you to smoke, they allowed you to drink, they allowed you to do anything. Oh, and wow. So it, would, it so it didn't help the situation. That was a big um, alternative, wasn't it? Right. <laughs> It didn't help the situation, but it made me feel comfortable. Yeah. Because they're doing what I'm forced to do. So now I can do it freely and not um and not be looked down upon. And and I remember there was this one young lady who um began to like me and liking me in a way that first of all it was new to me. Um and and the things that she would say to me, and I told her, I said, what's wrong with you? Why are you talking to me like that? And it was she was talking to me in a sexy way. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I said, because I don't I don't talk to women like that. And she just kept on and kept on. And I and I kept telling her, you know, if you I would appreciate you not speaking to me, you know, like that. And and, you know, just disrespectful. And she would she would have a bunch of other girls around her. And and I remember going and, and telling the principal, and and the principal um, said, um, "Don't worry about it. Um, I'll talk to her, and she'll leave you alone." Well, of course, that didn't happen. And and at one point, she trapped me in the stairwell. And in her trapping me in the stairwell, because it was lunchtime, we was heading to the cafeteria, and I heard a door close behind me. And as I'm walking down the steps. And as I'm preparing to reach for the door that leads you into the cafeteria, um, a bunch of her friends stepped in front of the door. And then when I look, she was behind me. And she says, now I got you. And now you're going to do whatever it is that I want you to do to me. And you're going to let me do whatever I want to do to you. And, you know, I don't. I want to stop you just a second. Isn't it amazing that when somebody's, been treated bad and all these different things that it seems like the people who want to do that just automatically and know that that's something that you've experienced and that they can make it happen. Um, I just find it mind boggling that, um, you know, because there was probably a lot, a lot of people there that that she never approached at all. And Mm -hmm. it's just because you had this presence about you that she knew somehow um because you find like they one of the things that i've heard before many times is that 
people who are pedophiles or different things like that, they exa know exactly who to go and approach and where to go to find more victims and things like that. But, and, and I know I, 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 I jumped in, but I still, it am amazes me how um, people just that are bad people just know. Yes. Yes. And, um, and I believe that's what happened in my case. And, you know, now that I'm trapped in the stairwell um, and as she, as she's walking down the stairs, approaching me, um, the only thing that I remember is what the people told me, what the other students told me. Um, it was like, Barbara, something just came over you. And as she approached you, you just grabbed her by the hair and you threw her down the steps and you just started beating on her. And you just kept saying, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of people doing this to me. I'm tired of people making me do things. I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. And they said it took the music teacher to get me off of her. And I, I, I just remember waking up in the principal's office. I was on the couch. And they had called the paramedics. They had called the police um, department. They had called my parents in. And and the principal had said, um, I know this young lady has been bothering her since she got here. And, you know, Barbara did come and tell me. And I told her, that, you know, everything, I'll talk to her and everything will be all okay. She says, and, and I guess it wasn't. And whatever it was that she said or did, and then to find out she's, you know, she's trapped in the staircase because I had no place to go. I mean, now I'm trapped mm -hmm. in the staircase. I have no place to go. Nobody there to, to rescue me. Um, I, the principal, she said, I guess it just got the better of her. And um, because the young lady ended up in the hospital and I, I just knew that I was going to get kicked out of school, but, but that didn't happen. Um, and, um, I still, um, continue to go to the school and I, um, continue going there until, well, um, I guess nobody tried to make you do anything after that, right? I had, I had no more, I had no more problems after that. I bet. Uh, no, no more problems after Put that. Put the fear in them, that's for sure. And, um, and I, and I was there until I became pregnant, um, and um, and I didn't even and the thing was, I didn't even know that I was pregnant. It was the guidance counselor um, who told me that I was pregnant. The one thing that always stuck with me, um, regardless of what I was going through, regardless of how bad I was, regardless of, um, you know, the things that I may have been saying, um, even the disrespectfulness. Two of the people that I will never forget at that school. One was the music teacher, and his name was Mr. Phipps. And the other was the assistant, the assistant principal. I can't remember her name, but I remember them both saying to me, because I loved music class, but I remember them both. I remember him saying to me, you're going to be great one day. And I remember her saying to me, it doesn't matter what you're going through now. You're going to overcome it. 
and you're going to be a great person. Wow, wouldn't and you be, wouldn't you love to reconnect with both of them? I I really would. I've actually done some Google search to see if they're even still alive, so that I could you know let them know yeah. that you saw a positive as opposed to negative in me. Right, and that's and, a good thing for anybody that's an educator or of anything like that to to take notice when we're as you're talking because those two people probably when they said those things didn't think anything of it. It was just their natural state, you know, and they don't, they never had a real idea of what a difference that made in your life that you still remember that today. Yeah. I remember that. And I also remember it. Um, there was a young lady because they had her come up and speak and it was during the program because we actually had a music program and I was playing the keyboard and she came up to speak and she shared that she was one of the students there. And just how bad she was and, and all of this, these things, she says, but it was Mr. Phipps and the assistant principal who had spoke into her life. She says, and and now I can tell you today um, that, you know, I not only got my GED, she got a college degree um, and she was some sort of manager at one of these big companies um, in downtown Wall Street. She says, and I just want to impress upon all of you young ladies that you can be whatever it is that you want to be. You can grow up to not let this defy who you are. You can move past this um, as long as you connect with the right people to help you to move forward, um, to speak That's positive. That's an important thing life. right there too, yes. right? Yes. And so, and I, so I remembered what she said as well. And you know, and then once, like I said, once I had, once I had my, my daughter, well, when I became pregnant um, and, you know, I told the school, told the principal, they actually gave me a, a baby shower because Aww. it was in June. Um, and I knew that Tawana, my daughter's name is Tawana. She was due in October. So which meant come September, I wouldn't be back in school until after she was born. So I thought, um, so they had given me a baby shower and um, and and at that point, you know, because I was praying that I would have a son and they said, well. So why you were you? Oh, I see. You were praying that you had a son so you wouldn't have to worry about your daughter being abused by a man. OK, right. All and right. so and I get so, it. <laughs> and, and I remember I remember all of the students saying, well, just in case you happen to have a girl, we would love to name her Tawana. And so that's how my daughter got her name from the young ladies at the school. Mm -hmm. um, and they named her Tawana LaShawn. And of course, when she was born, it was a girl. So I named her Tawana LaShawn. Um, and um, so it was, you know, after I had her, because by now um, my mother and, and, and her boyfriend as far as sexually, they're not bothering me, but, um, you know, just doing other things. And and I began fighting. I began fighting because now it's not about me that I have to protect, but it's about protecting Tawana. And um, and so once we began fighting, um, my mother boyfriend had called because she was in the kitchen and 
you know, he had said to her, you know, she's fighting, fighting me back. And and my mother had jumped in and she's like, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind and and you're going to do this. You're going to do that. And I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not not doing that anymore. Um, and, you know, and she slapped me and, and I just reached out and hit her back. Um, and we all started fighting. And and then what I noticed was not just us fighting, but then my sisters jumped in and then they started beating on me. Um, and then my father, my father came over every day and and I remember him coming over and he could hear the noise as he's walking up the steps and he comes in. And he's like, what's going on? What's going on? And and, you know, and that's when my mother had told him what was what's going on. And she says, and she needs to um, pack her things and, and take her and that baby and get out of here. And so that's when I got thrown out and I went to live with my with my father and um, my stepmother for a while. And of course, you know, my father said, you have to get a job, you have to do this, you have to do that. And and it was one um, couple who was friends of the family who stepped in and said, we know, we see that you're struggling. We see you're trying to take care of yourself and your baby. Um, why don't you let us take her? Um, we're not signing any papers because we're not taking her from you, um, but we just want to help. And they took Tawana to live with them. And I ended up renting a room and in order for me to survive, in order for me to be able to get what I needed to take care of my baby, I just went back into doing what I was trained to do. Mm -hmm. And that was becoming the prostitute, getting more involved in drugs and alcohol um, so that I could save up enough money to get a place for me in Tawana. Um, but um, those were, that went on for a long time, even after getting Tawana back, because by now I have my own place and even getting her back, I still was doing that. Um, not in her presence. I always made sure um, that I did nothing in the presence of Tawana. I made sure that there were no men ever in her presence, um, not even to the point of having someone spend the night um, because I really, truly wanted to protect her at all costs. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember even when she was born, she had the biggest smile on her face. I remember the nurses saying, you know, that baby came into the world with the biggest smile on her face. And I knew that that was a smile that I had to protect for the yes, rest of she, my life. You wanted her to keep it. Exactly. Yes. And so the turning point for me came when I was getting high. It could have been off of cocaine. It could have been off of crack. And I was in this drug den because I, you know, I went wherever I could go in order to make the money. Sometimes it would be at a truck stop. Sometimes it would be in the back of someone's car. Um, sometimes it would be in alleyways, um, you know, just to do what I needed to do. And I'm thankful and grateful to God that he had his hands on me because there's no way that I should be alive today with all that. Not only that they put me through, but even what I put myself through. Yeah. Um, but, um, but it was at this point that I OD'd. And I remember God coming to me and saying, enough is enough. And I had made God a promise that if it was his will to heal me and to live and to deliver me, not just from the drugs, but from the prostitution, from from all the things that was causing me harm, that I would do whatever it was that he called me to do 
to speak and to share about how I was saved um, through the trafficking, through the sexual abuse, through the through the, the, the drugs and the alcohol, and and just becoming a loving mother to my child. And yeah, it's amazing that you become um, a loving mother to your child because you had nothing to um, to pattern that after. You know, because that one of the things that they do say is most abusers become abusers and that kind of thing. And so not only did you have a strong enough faith and personality and everything to get out of the prostitution, to walk away from the drugs and everything, but you also became a good mother to help your daughter to never experience any of the exactly. stuff that you experienced. So, I mean, that that is... Amazing. Now, I want to ask you, because I know we we're getting um, far out on our time, but it's so fascinating to to listen to you tell all this. So I know. Um, how did it come to the place where you decided to write this book, the first one? Well, if it was if it literally was up to me. <laughs> it wouldn't have happened. It, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> It wouldn't have come to pass. Um, it was it was the different people that God had placed in my path who spoke into my life. I hadn't shared what I had gone through. And I can't say if they didn't know that I've gone through something. The only thing that they would say to me was that you're going to be an ambassador for Christ one day. Hmm. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> and <laughs> so they don't feel like me. What you talking about? <laughs> and and I remember one of the young ladies who became my mentor, um, Lord rest her soul. Her name was Valerie Bell. I remember her saying something about you. Every time you come in my presence, the the hair on my arms and my neck stand up. She says, and I know it's nothing but the Holy Spirit. She says, whatever's going on, don't be afraid. Mm. She said, don't be afraid. Um, I'm here for you. She says, and you know, God is always there for you. Um, she says, and whenever you feel like talking, she says, you know, I'll be here. Um, and I remember sharing just a little bit about what I had gone through. Um, not, not everything, but just a little. And she said, you need to share your testimony. Um, because you could help so many. Um, and then something happened, something happened where I remember something was said to me. I was working, something was said to me. And I remember the person on the other side of the, on the other end of the phone and the things that she was saying. And I'm like, what is going on? And I'm crying. And I'm like, why are you saying these things to me? Why? It's because this is not true. I know you. This is not true. And and I remember calling Valerie, crying and, and, and sharing with her what, what had just happened. And she says, um, what time do you get home? And I says, you know, I should be home by five. She says, when well, I'll be over. And I, when she came over, that's when I shared a little bit more about myself. And at that point, she says, have you had an opportunity to speak to Pastor Boykin. And I said to no. She said, you need to make an appointment to speak to Pastor Boykin and Mrs. Boykin and tell them your story and what's going on. They'll be able to help you. And 
because before you know before that different things would be happening and i would always ask my pastor why is this happening why 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 and it wasn't like i was afraid i just didn't understand why different things was happening and you know the visions that i was seeing and um and and he would always say why not you why not you um and i said i don't know but why 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 and so when i eventually shared with him everything that i had gone through well not everything but majority of the things um it was he who had said to me now i can tell you why everything's happening the way it's happening he says and i don't want you to be afraid he said but god is going to use you to heal a nation because with everything that you have gone through with everything that you have overcome with everything that you continue to do you're going to bring hope to a lot of people you're going to bring understanding to folks that don't understand why people do what they do. For those who have given up, you know, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcoholic, whether it's prostitution, um, that teen mom, um, those that are being sexually abused, you're going to bring them hope in knowing that they can be healed, that they can move forward in their life, that they can um, they can have a better life, that what happened to them, they don't have to look at it as, well, it happened to me, I'm going to do it to someone else. You know, right. as you say, most abusers become, you know, abusers. Um, he said, but you're going to go through a lot of things before you even get to that point. And uh, again, don't be afraid, but whatever it is that God is asking you to do, do it. He said, start writing everything down. Um, and so that's how all of that came about. And of course, um, you know, with the Holy Spirit speaking to me, and, and telling me, you know, need to write everything down. Um, you need to journal it. You need to. And then there came a point where, okay, now I want, to, want you to turn it into a book. And I said, you know, Lord, I did what you asked me to do. I wrote everything down. I put it in a journal. But I'm not writing a book because now you want me to put a book out there that people are going to know about me and about my life and about, um, you know, all that I've done and all that I was. And you want me to be transparent. And he said, it's not about your life. It's about saving other lives. Mm. And it's about me. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm still not going to do it. <laughs> me, you know, me, me and God, we always have this back and forth. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but the one thing that he knows is that I'll never tell him no. Okay, I may take my time about it, yeah, but I will yeah. never tell him no. And uh, and so eventually, eventually what, 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 it, what happened was he literally ended up stripping me of everything and putting me on this island in Montego Bay, in literally an island, um, at this resort called Sunset Beach Resort, which is no longer there. You know, again, it's like, okay, was that part of your plan? Place me there, but then when you remove me, you also remove the island. Um, and that's where I literally started writing. Um, and which was in 2003. But I still was not, comfortable enough to even think about getting it published until um, one day at work, because we have Bible study group at work. And and I remember this guy who was sitting next to me, his name is Ed Green, and he had asked me the question, have you finished your book yet? But when he asked and the look that he had on his face, to me, he looked like Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. And I, and I said, yes, I finished my book. And he says, great, because I can't wait 
for it to get published so that I can read it. Well, when I left that Bible study group, I says, okay, there's no way that I can lie to Jesus. So now I have to <laughs> seek out a publisher and get my book published and sort out the publisher, Zulon Press, um, which is a Christian-based um, publishing company. And that's how my book became published. And when it did come out, my boss um, had called me into his office. Well, he came to my desk and he said, there's something wrong with my computer. And I said, call the help desk. And he says, no, only you can fix this problem. I said, no, because I'm not tech savvy. So you have to call the help desk. He said, well, there's something with my screen. I said, well, call the help desk. He says, no, you can fix it. And so the attorney who sat across from me in, in the office, she came out. She said, what is Kevin trying to get you to do? I said, you want me to look at his screen? But I told him to call the help desk. She said, why don't, because she knew, I didn't know. She said, why don't you just go look at his screen and just make him happy? And so as I walk in and I look at his screen and as I get closer, I see the cover of the book, Mute But Now While Speaking. I started screaming and crying and it's like, oh, he said, you're an author. And, but now I got nervous and I got mm -hmm. scared because now everyone is going to know about now the Now the gig is up. Everybody's going to know Everybody's going exactly to know. all your little secrets. Exactly. And, you know, and of course he called a meeting and, um, you know, because he wanted to share with everyone, you know, we have an author in the legal division and her name is Barbara Jean Wilson. And I encourage all of you to support her and buy her book. And he said, I just wanted to come up here and just share a little about her book. And the only thing that I would say about my book was that it's about hope, perseverance and never giving up. That's all I would say. Yeah. And of course, once they purchased the book and they came to my desk, it was like, Barbara, we always knew that you were somebody special. You always, you know, this deep respect, you know, the love of the Lord that you have. But reading your story and how you were in the pit, how you were in the, the dirt, it, it just makes us our respect level even higher. Yeah, yeah, I can um, see that. So you, how, how did you go from that to actually speaking um, about it? Well, when my, that's a that's that's a that's a big place, you know, to um, to a big um, bridge to gap, I guess. Well, when once bridge. my book, once my book came out um, and it was it was the people at Freddie Mac who started passing my name around and and, and sharing my because um, I didn't even have a website at the time, but they started telling people about me and and inviting me to their church to speak. You know, I was receiving invitations to speak at a church and, you know, an invitation to speak here. And I would actually receive telephone calls um, from people saying, you don't know who I am. Um, someone heard you speak and said, if you need a speaker, you need to call her. And so that's how I got a lot of my um, invitations. And of course, back then, um, you know, in receiving the invitations, I was nervous. I was afraid because now I'm speaking to strangers. And mm -hmm. for for a while, you know, when I would speak, I would be crying. I mean, I would be crying um, because I'm telling these folks about the life that I had to live. Um, and do they see me as dirty? You know, are they here to listen with compassion or are they here to listen to gossip? Yeah, um, to be judgmental. Right. And then I would see other people in the, you know, in the audience crying um, and it's like, are they crying for me? Um, do they feel sorry for me? So that's how it all came about as far as the speaking. Um, 
the speaking. But then what I also noticed was that, you know, a lot of the invitations that I started receiving, it, it was places that I never even thought that I would even be in, um, that I would never be a part of. Um, like what? Like when I received the invitation to to speak at the United Nation, when I received an invitation to speak at the Department of Justice at the state capitol, um, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, and I actually um, have a speaking engagement in two weeks in St. Vincent de Grenadine. Um, all of this, it, it, it reminded me of what my pastor had said years ago that God mm -hmm. is going to use you to heal a nation because I'm thinking I'm just going to be here in Virginia. Right. Um speaking to, you know, women's groups and but God had bigger plans. And what I found out through my speaking, and especially when after, you know, during the question and answer, you know, when people would ask me questions, um, I had men who would get up, not only asking the question, but thanking me because whether it's their wife or their daughter or fiance may have gone through an abuse, they now know how to help them to overcome and heal. I even had one man to stand up and say, I don't have a question, but what I want to do is ask for your forgiveness. And I said, you're asking me for my forgiveness? He says, yes, because I'm a man. And what happened to you happened by other men that should never, ever have happened. And so I'm asking for forgiveness for what they did. And that literally just broke me down. Yeah, I bet. But you know, um, the, the thing that is too to make sure we mention is that these kinds of things can be happening with uh, with little boys too. It doesn't yes. always have to be little girls, and so the it's probably not as prevalent, but it's there. So um, that's that's an important thing to point out as well. It's a it's a higher rate for 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 boys, teen boys, men, because for for boys, for for teens, for men, for them, it's about being manly. So to to share that they've been taken advantage of in that way, mm -hmm. it's like I'm a you know I'm a man I'm supposed to be strong I'm supposed to be able to handle it, but that's not always yeah. the case. And so so a lot of them will not speak about it. You're finding more and more are coming out now and sharing, but not as many. And you also find a lot of a lot of women that that don't share a lot of young girls and boys that don't share and one of the things that i realize is that god gave me this voice to share with the world to become their voice for the ones who don't want to speak about it but also for the ones who lost their lives those who whether it was by their own doing or someone else who never had an opportunity to speak and share. Mm -hmm. God is using my voice to bring healing to them, to bring awareness to those that don't understand what's going on, but also to the abuser, 
the 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 trafficker, the 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 pedophile to show them that what you're doing, the harm that you cause in another human being that right. was created by God is 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 something that it's hard to rebuild back. And even if you were a victim, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. Right. Um, well, and that's I'll, why I'm going to share real quick. I'm this suddenly it's on my heart to to share, um, and um, this is very very vulnerable for me. Um, when I was, um, gosh, I was in the sixth grade. Whatever the hell that makes me. Um, there was a person that my family knew that um, a grown man. Well, he was probably 18 at the time, um, and he kissed me um, on the mouth and it was like, whoa, you know, um, you know, that's, you know, and I just ran off, you know, I was just a kid. And, um, and then when I was in the seventh grade, he was a person that the family knew and he would come over to the house and everything. And I started, um, and sometimes he stayed overnight and um, he, it got where sometimes like we, he would be hanging out with the whole family and he would be saying he was going to go to the store and he'd say, well, let Vicky go. She can help me carry stuff. So I like getting in the car and also I would go and um, he would do things like he wore shorts that he would maneuver to where his, he was hanging out of his shorts mm -hmm. Um and so he was doing things like that and he would even do it around people, but he would do it in a way that it was only for my eyes. And, and so I would do everything I could not to look and, you know, and, um, and, it, and, and I would feel my heart racing and stuff. And I knew there was something wrong with this, but I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, I never had the experience like you did, but, um, this kept on and on and on and I could feel it beginning to escalate and, and it was really making me fearful. And so one day I came home um, from school and he was the only person there. And when I, when I went into the house, I thought, well, I'll just sit here in the living room and I'll watch TV and I could hear him in the other rooms. And he yelled that he was in the shower and he needed a bar of soap. And I thought, okay, I guess I'll get him a bar of soap. And I get a bar of soap out of the closet and I walk and the bathroom door is wide open. He's standing there buck naked. And I took the bar of soap and I just threw it at him. And I ran outside the house and I waited till my mother got home from work. And I told my mother and my mother said, we'll take care of this. And I said, okay. And he was not allowed to ever come around again. I mean, my mother, un unfortunate for you, your mother didn't do this, but my mother uh, swooped in and protected me and mm -hmm. made sure nothing happened. So I feel exceptionally blessed that I did have that there because that could have gone really, really wrong. And yes. so I've never shared this publicly because and I will say that as all this stuff was going on, I never said anything to my mother until I got so scared because I thought he's an adult. Why would she believe me? All mm -hmm. he has to say is she's lying and she's not going to believe me. And 
So that's why I didn't say anything because this went on for a while. And, um, but it was when I got scared just enough that it was like, now I'm staying outside until an adult comes home and I'm telling them, whoever that is, mm-hmm. I'm telling. And so I want to say to any parent out there that their daughter or their son tells you something's going on, listen. Yes. You know? Um, and I can say sometimes that may not be comfortable, but listen. And, you know, I, I didn't want to take some of your, um, your time here, but it was just no, like, that's fine. it just came up and I thought, no, I'm not going to say anything. And it came up again. I said, no, I'm not going to. So it was, I had to say, so I said in, my thing. And in saying that one of the things that I, um, one of the things that I was that I was told, and thank you for sharing, is that Barbara, there's something about you that God placed on you. There's something in your spirit um, that when you speak, because everyone hears it coming from deep down inside, mm-hmm. you make people open up even if they don't want to. Right. And that and that's what just happened with you. And you know, part of part of of you know our healing is to be able to release and and let go and know that we're not alone. And just like you were brave enough to tell your mother and God used the opportunity now for you to share with the world. Um, and also use me to share with the world that they can say to themselves, okay, we're not alone, but -hmm. just like they overcame, we can overcame, we can overcome by having the right people placed in our, in our path. And just like you said, for parents, pay attention to your kids, pay attention to what they're saying, pay attention to how they respond to other adults around them, um, to other people around them. Um, pay attention to how they may change in what they wear. Because I know for me, I started wearing, even though I was a chunky child, I started wearing clothes that were even larger than what I normally wear so that people wouldn't look at me. Mm, yeah. You know, I um I instilled in my daughter from a very young age, I don't care who it is. If anyone says something, to you that's not right, bothers you that's not right, come and tell me. I am your mother. I am here to help you. I am here to protect you. I will not cause any harm. I will not believe what you're telling me. I will believe everything that you're telling me. So don't be afraid to come and share um, whatever it is that you need to share with me. Sometimes she gets a little way out there and shares stuff that I'm like, Lord, <laughs> don't overshare now <laughs> but um but but we have to become those parents we have to become those teachers those you know um those adults that are there you know those in the church because the church doesn't even want to talk about it but you have to you have to be able to to open up and begin sharing because a lot of kids are hurting because they they think that they're alone the kids yeah. that are bullying their 
they're bullying because they want someone to ask them the question. And and anytime you take the child who um, two wrongs don't make a right, but when you get into that mass, you know, shooting in schools and what have you, it's because a lot of them has reached a point where nobody's hearing me, nobody's yeah. listening. So, you know, so let me do what will bring attention. Um, and they normally go after the ones who cause the problem, you know, so just pay attention to what's what's going on and what's happening and know that. Um, yeah, that's 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 good advice there. Well, listen, we are getting so close to our time. You know, I told you I wanted to keep it because it's hard to put this out and it beats so long. But I do want to say I would love to have you on again so we can dive into some of these things that we've had to kind of just skirt over because we just we don't have that much time. Um, so really quick, um, do you have one short thing that you can leave everybody with a thought or um, something that, um, and then you can share how they can get in touch with you, even though I'm going to have all this um, on the bio and everything, but like maybe the one place that they can connect with you. Well, the, the one thing that I would, would like to share um, with everyone, you know, whether you're a victim or not, um, especially for the victims, who are still battling, still trying to heal. Um, it's a long journey, but you can overcome it. Um, you know, I myself, I was able to go back to school and get my GED, my college degree, and now I'm an author and a, um, a speaker. Um, and you too can have that same life. And you surround yourself with those who believe in you, those who respect you, um, and those who... Um, will give you that chance. And for for others that are not victims, but you run into someone like that, and I'll use myself as an example. You know, if you run across someone um, that is going through something, I mean, I've had, I've had um, their friends now, but I had one dear friend and I, and, and that's how I will end this one dear friend to this day, she knew that I was going through something. She just didn't know what it is. And other people was like, how can you be around her? And yada, 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 because she's angry. She's always angry and always, she says, but it's something about her. She just needs somebody to listen. And she told me that God had told her that I was her assignment. Hmm. And, you know, and I was always angry, always angry. And even at her, but she kept coming back. She kept coming back. And one day when she came back, um, she came over. And before I answered the door, I said to myself, she keeps coming back no matter what I say, no matter what I do. I never put my hands on her, but the things that I said, I said, but she keeps coming back. Maybe I can begin to trust her because she sees something in me. And that's how it all, that's how you build a trust up with a victim. You just keep coming back regardless of what, don't take anything personal because it's not about you. They just want someone to hear what they have to say. And she just kept saying to me, you're going to be so much greater than who you are now. And I wish you could see who you're going to become. I wish you could see what I could see. Um, and it took a lot of that feeding into me for me to realize who I have become. Mm. And because I didn't feel that I was worthy. 
I felt so unworthy. I felt so unloved. Um, but having all of these people pour into me um, and let me know that I was worthy, it wasn't until um, last year when I actually gained my worth um, and realized that I was worthy. And for those who were part of it, in two weeks, I'm going to actually be celebrating them. Um, it's called celebrating you. Um, because of them, I am who I am. I am where I am in my life and on this journey because I began to believe what they were saying. It's not so much, Vicky, you telling me this all the time. I have to get to a point where I believe what you're saying. Right. And once I started believing, I look in the mirror every day and I say, Barbara Jean Wilson, you are a beautiful, beautiful woman. And you can do anything and you you can become whatever it is that you want to become. And so that's what I want to leave everyone with is just have patience, have understanding in case you do come across someone who was a victim. And if you want to reach out to me, you can always go to my website, which is www.mutebutnowispeak.com. Or you can even send me an email, which is um, mutebutnowispeak at verizon.net. If you have any questions, if you want to um, speak more about my life, if you even want to you know, invite me somewhere to, to, to speak and share, feel free to reach out to me that way um and vicky will be posting um you know the link to my website the link to my book and i believe my email address is on there as mm -hmm. well i think you so. know in in case you and your bio that has a list of and my bio. places you've you've spoken and a little bit more of your um your degrees and different things you know um it was it was a, an impressive list and uh so um, once again, thank you so much for being here today and being vulnerable and sharing with us. And uh, like I said, I definitely want to have you back again so that we can kind of dive into some of these other things that you want to share with people. Thank you again, Vicki, for um, just having me on your show and, and just allowing me to, to share um, with the audience. Um, and hopefully and prayfully, it will be able to help someone. Thank you again. Yes, I'm sure it will. All right. So everybody, I want to say thank you for um, for being here and um, make sure to um, look at the information and in which we'll have all the links um, for um, talking and connecting with Barbara and I'll put on the links for connecting with me if you do if you choose to do so and make sure you subscribe like anything that it says for you to do when it comes to watching whatever whatever platform I end up having this on because there's several so everybody be blessed and make sure that you utilize the voice that you have